Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. My name is Ryan Tartamella, for those of you who don't know me. And first of all, thank you so much for continuing to walk this scared to death message with us. We love having you guys. I am pumped to get to be a part of it. Today, I am going to talk to you guys about the fear of discomfort. But first, we're going to take a bit of a survey. I want you to raise your hand for me if you have ever felt uncomfortable. All right, so some of you didn't raise your hand, which tells me you probably did so because you felt uncomfortable in doing so. So guess what? Now you can relate to everyone else in the room and are eligible for this message. Amen? Amen. All right. I like it. Okay. So we're going to hop right in. Guys, I've got two points for us today. Point one is that comfort is not our calling. All right. So I've got terrible, terrible news. Nowhere in this Bible does it say that we're going to be not faced by discomfort. In fact, it says quite the opposite. John 16, starts off with, in the world, you will have tribulation. So the fact that you thought, oh, I'm going to have to face discomfort one day is an accurate one. However, there's wonderful news because there's a second portion of this verse that says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's great about this verse is I think it can be translated a couple of different ways. <clears throat> I think the first translation is what I call the skin deep translation. And it's, it's Jesus is saying, hey guys, you're going to be faced with discomfort, but don't worry because we're talking worldly discomfort, and God has given you all the strength you need to overcome all of that discomfort. And that's a great word. That's a great message, and there's nothing wrong with that translation. But what if we took it a little deeper, and we peeled back the onion a bit, and we thought maybe Jesus is saying, hey guys, discomforts are coming, but remember that God gave you his only son who will face all ultimate discomfort so that you can be spared eternal discomfort. We aren't spared discomfort now in exchange for being spared eternal discomfort. Comfort is not our calling. Second point I have, guys, is discomfort is fuel. So chemically speaking, fuel is an accelerant, right? We put it into things, I don't know a lot about, that you know, goes in and it makes stuff go, right? Cars and boats. All right, if I don't put gas in my truck, it doesn't run. However, if we don't harness fuel properly, it becomes a very dangerous additive. Discomfort is no different. When we properly harness it, discomfort, or don't properly harness it rather, discomfort leads to self-doubt or fear of discomfort. So... Whenever we walk into discomfort, whether it be intentional or unintentional, we have to rely on God. People call this faith, right? So in reality, what we're saying is if we have a fear of discomfort, we have a failure of faith. Faith in what? 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. Faith that through power, love, and self-discipline, given to us by God, by the way, that we will overcome fear of discomfort and faith that on the other side of our fears, not given to us by God, by the way, 
is where growth happens. Because when God wants you to grow, he will make you uncomfortable. So how do we make sure that we harness that good use of fear? We must educate ourselves, guys. Fear is not from God, but he understood we would face it. So he gave us this wonderful book <clears throat> that holds the equation on how to face that fear. A couple, a couple points. 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 4, 17, yeah, 417. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory behind all, beyond all comparison. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. <laughs> Psalm 118.6, the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. Discomfort is fuel, guys. And although we are built for discomfort, we are not built for fear. Be assured that when you're facing discomfort, that comfort is not your calling. And when you're stuck in fear, that discomfort can be used as fuel. You have the equation on how to harness it right here. And if all that isn't enough, and you feel like you're still not qualified, remember this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Love you guys. Good morning. How are you? My name is Emily Black, and I am honored to be up here to speak with you today. This is a close and personal topic for me, and I'm sure a lot of you here. It's something I've personally struggled with um, all throughout my life ever since I was little, and I just want to share with you some things that has gotten me through it, through God's truth and his goodness. Now, I don't say this out of pity before I do say this, but when I was six to eight years old, my mom abandoned me and my little brother. And it's taken me years to acknowledge and work through this fear of being abandoned, not by her, just, you know, other people that may come into my life and do the same thing. It helped me most um, in 2016 when I met Jesus, and further than that, this last year and a half, when I really dug in to my identity and who I was in him and who he really is. When I was sitting down to see what he wanted me to say, he gave me this scripture, um, <clears throat> Psalms 27, 8 through 10. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And that brings me to my first point. That abandonment is not your identity or your label anymore. Something I think we forget is that we are literal works of art. In Ephesians 2, it says we are God's masterpiece, and only the creator can label that masterpiece. So you're no longer lost. You're no longer unheard, void, unclaimed, or unknown. Psalms 27 says we are known. Our hearts are heard. We are not rejected. We are held close, and we are not abandoned. 
And as I was looking back the last few months um, before I was asked to speak today, I was reading Out of the Cave with one of my friends. But before I wanted to um, continue reading it, I wanted to go over the story of Elijah and 1 Kings um, because that is what the book was about. And then I was led to read Ruth and then Acts and then Pastor Nick touched on a trio of people. And then I was led to that passage in Psalms. And then I was like, why am I jumping from scripture to scripture? And then right before this week, I was like, light bulb. I see you, Jesus, and this is what he gave me. God did not abandon David in the midst of his enemies. God did not abandon Paul in prison. God did not abandon Peter in his doubts. God did not abandon Ruth in an unknown land. God did not abandon Meshach, Radshach, and Abednego in the fire, and he's not going to abandon you. And that's my second point for you today, is God didn't abandon them, and so he's never going to abandon you, not even at their worst. No matter where they went, he was there. And he, he gave me this picture a couple of weeks ago, and um, there's these two people, it's Jesus and this girl, and they're, they're on the ocean, and they're just standing there, and there's these calm waves. And then it's sunset, and they're both wearing white linen gowns, and they're scarlet and orange, white, the perfect sky, the perfect sunset. You know, everything's perfect with Jesus. And they're just dancing, and she's smiling, and he's just twirling her around. And there's just this pure closeness. There's just this purest love there. And that's what he wants for you. He doesn't want to abandon you. He wants to be with you. So when you do feel abandoned, invite Jesus in to those darkest places. Remember who you are. You are a bride of Christ, son or daughter of God who is loved beyond measure. And I'm just going to pray over you real quick, okay? Father, we invite you into our hearts and minds to begin healing us of our fears. Father, I pray that you give us peace that passes all understanding. Father, I pray that you break all enemy chains and bonds that tell us any different other than your truth. I pray that you would instill in us the power of a sound mind. All in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Good word. Well, good morning. My name is Tim Smith, and I'm going to speak about fear of the unknown. You see, we all have fears. Maybe you're afraid of the dark, or you have a fear of running out of toilet paper, or getting attacked by murder hornets. I mean, the list could go on and on, right? The important thing to remember is that fear does not make you any less of a person or any less of a Christian. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. During week one of our series, Pastor Nick talked about the difference between healthy and unhealthy fears. So I want to spend the next few minutes talking about some ways to combat some of those unhealthy fears. The first way is by following God's instructions and talking to him. In Philippians 4, 6 through 8, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, when I was doing a little internet searching, uh, I found that one of the definitions for the word petition 
is typically a formal request appealing to authority with respect to a particular cause. And anxious is experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness. Christianity.com says that, simply put, prayer is conversating with God and not just talking to the Lord, but listening. So if we take these definitions and rewrite the verses in Philippians, we would read it to say, do not worry about anything, but in every situation, talk and listen to the Lord about what's troubling you. With a thankful heart, respectfully appeal to his authority on the cause, and the peace of God, which is beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, I remember a particularly tough time in my life when I had no idea what was going to happen next. And I printed these verses out and duct taped them to the back of my front door. And every time I passed through that door, I read them. So, yay, duct tape. (laughs) The second way we can combat our fears is by remembering God's faithfulness. There's some great examples of God's faithfulness during unknown times found in the book of Exodus. In chapter 14, the Israelites had left Egypt on their way to the promised land. And we know that Pharaoh had changed his mind and he was pursuing them. As they were being chased, they came to the Red Sea and they were trapped. So the Lord spoke to Moses. Moses parted the Red Sea, and the Israelites crossed safely. Once they had crossed safely, the Egyptians attempted to follow them, and they were swallowed up by the sea. Problem solved, right? Well, if we're not careful, we can miss some of God's faithfulness within this miracle. Exodus 14, 29 says, But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. He said they didn't step over water puddles. There was no fish flopping around trying to trip them up. They crossed on dry land. Simply being able to cross was all that they needed, but in God's faithfulness, instead of their feet getting muddy, they got dusty. A little later in chapter 16, we see that the Israelites are in the desert, and they need food. So the Lord provides manna every morning and quail every evening. Each day they could only collect what was needed for that day. If they collected anything extra, it would rot. The exception of this was on the sixth day when they were allowed to collect a double portion to be able to take the Sabbath day off from collecting. Each and every day for 40 years, the Lord provided exactly what was needed for that day. If we can get a show of hands, is anyone in the room over 40 years old? Tell the truth, over 40. Praise God, we've moved on to steak and potatoes. (laughs) If you're under 40, be patient, it's worth it. The third way that we can combat our fears is by remembering that God cares about you. Matthew 6, 26, 27, and 34. It says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. For yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Did you know that in our area, the the average songbird that we would see at a bird feeder can only go 24 to 48 hours without food or it'll die? And in fact, if you have a little hummingbird feeder somewhere, next time you see the hummingbird, visit it. Just remember that they can only go three to five hours without eating or they'll die. The only way that they can survive through the night is by hibernating. Verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Talk to God, remember his faithfulness, and remember that he cares about you.
Well, hey, church, I'm Whitney Carroll, and I'm just so excited and honored for the opportunity to be here with y'all this morning. So just want to start out by addressing the elephant in the room. Yes, I am wearing white pants, and yes, it is after Labor Day. <laughs> I know my mama is out there somewhere very concerned that I am breaking this number one rule of fashion, but I love you, Mom, but I also love my white jeans. I won't lie, the thoughts did cross my mind this morning that there will probably be people in this room, especially you ladies, that might be judging me for doing this, but it didn't stop me from wearing them. And that's what I want to kind of dive into a little bit today, that we can't let the fear of judgment from others and the worry about what other people think about us stop us from making decisions, no matter how small or big those decisions may be. Just to be completely vulnerable, the fear of judgment from others is something that I do personally struggle with. I am that person that lays awake at night just like replaying a situation over and over in my head, wondering, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Should have said this. Should have said that. Are they mad at me? You know, the thoughts just keep on, you know, coming on, coming on. And, it, you know, the situation has well passed and moved on. I know some of you in this room may be like me and do the same thing. So my hope today is that by sharing some practical ways to help us overcome that fear of judgment from others will help provide some guidance and insight to y'all as it did for me as I prepared this teaching. So before jumping into my first point, I wanted to share the story in John chapter 8 of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and brought before Jesus to be condemned for breaking the law. But Jesus' response in verse 7 is this. Let any of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I think we can learn a lot from Jesus' reaction and response in this passage of Scripture because I think that a lot of us are very quick to assume, quick to judge, quick to make assumptions about people and the decisions that they make. And when we don't know the full backstory, you know, who are we to judge when we are all sinners? The first note I have for you this morning is to recognize that judgment from others will happen. I think by simply acknowledging that judgment is real, judgment is going to happen, that will help us be that first step to help us overcome that fear. To be carefree is so much easier said than done, but we have to learn just to brush the opinions off of our shoulders just to move past that. We all know the saying, you do you. And at the end of the day, you have to do what makes you happy. People-pleasing is something that I also personally struggle with. And I won't lie, I've made decisions um, based on the impact that it may have on the group or other people and that it may be for the better benefit of others and they might be happier with that decision, but it wasn't truly what I wanted. And people-pleasing can be super dangerous because it is just literally impossible to make everybody happy. And it can suck the joy right out of an opportunity and experience if you let it. The final note I have for you today is that God's judgment is the only judgment that matters. Whether he looks at you and says, good job, daughter, or good job, son, as our time here on earth wraps up, that's what matters. Are we leaving a legacy that God would be proud of? Are we making a difference? We don't need to defend ourselves and our decisions for the approval of others because God already knows where our hearts are. Circling back to the passage in John chapter 8, verse 11, once the crowd had slowly diminished, Jesus asked the woman where everyone had gone and if anyone had condemned her. She responded, no, and he declared, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. We see that although the woman had sinned, Jesus never left her side, and he won't leave ours either. No one in that crowd was in a position to throw stones. The only one qualified to throw a stone didn't, and I think we can learn a lot from that. The next time, you know, that we are so tempted to pick up the stones, so quick to judge someone, 
let's extend some grace and understanding because we don't know what they may be going through. If you're here today, maybe you came in just with the weight of the fear of judgment from others. Maybe you're holding back from making a decision because you're too scared about what other people might think about you. I encourage you to surrender that. Leave that at the feet of Jesus today. Let him take over and guide you to where he wants you to be next. As I've closed up this morning, I just want to remind us that we're all created uniquely by God. We're all different. Judgment's going to happen because of that. And, you know, God loves us for who we are, and we need to find comfort in that. So as a final reminder, God's judgment is the only judgment that matters. Hey, well, all right, church, man, I'm so glad y'all are here this morning. Uh, I hope that you don't have a fear of disappointment because after these communicators, I feel a little pressure right now. Yeah, there you go, laugh. That's where y'all laugh. Come on, 1030. Amen. Well, hey, I'm going to get a little real with y'all this morning. I want to share something that I really struggle with. So uh, I've titled this, My Fear is the Fear of Quicksand. I'm going to explain the quicksand effect here in just a moment. But before I get there, I want to explain to you a little bit about Uh, how I'm wired and the way I like things. So I like to be the best at literally everything. It doesn't matter if it's cooking mac and cheese, uh, which I do a great job, making a mean bowl of cereal, come on, Um, smoking barbecue, playing Mario Kart. Y'all, I got my tail kicked in Mario Kart this week. It was embarrassing. Um, It doesn't matter what it is, man. I, I, I really, I want to perform well because I'm very, very competitive. I hate losing just as much as I love winning. And so what I've learned is that there is some unhealthiness within this thing, this want to be excellent, this want to be best, and this, this performance thing. The other night I was laying in bed and I was asleep, and I woke up actually after a nightmare. And I don't, I don't remember what the nightmare was or what it, what it was that I woke up from, but I do remember that I spent the next several hours unpacking all of the mistakes that I had made recently, all the things that I had said to people that I shouldn't have said and all of the responsibilities that I have coming up, I started to run through this checklist of things I had to do the next day and that week and the events that were upcoming. And I started to really feel this pressure and panic. I was laying there and I realized, hey, I'm, I'm actually under attack. I'm, I feel like I'm panicking right now. And within that, what I began to realize is that the harder I tried to get out of it, the deeper I sank. The quicksand effect, right? The more you fight, the more that you sink. And so I just began to praise God and to remember his promises. And I finally came out of that. And afterwards, I realized it wasn't in my own strength, but in his strength. And so God took me to this scripture. Uh, I'm going to read it for you. It's Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. It says, God is our refuge and our strength. Everybody say helper. Oh, come on, 1030. Say helper. That's right. A helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though the water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil, Selah. What in the world is Selah, Matt? I'm glad that you asked. (laughs) Selah means to pause and reflect. Not to pause and reflect on Matthew. Not to pause and reflect on all the things I've done wrong. Not to pause and reflect on my weaknesses. Not to pause and reflect on the things that I've said wrong. Not to pause and reflect on all of my responsibilities and all the things I have coming up. But to pause and reflect on His goodness and who He is and His promises. And so as we move forward in verse 10, I'm going to skip ahead a couple verses. It says this, it says, stop fighting. Stop fighting 
and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on all the earth. Y'all, let me just tell you that when we are trapped in panic and we are in quicksand because we just keep fighting and we just keep fighting and we just keep trying to get out of it, just stop fighting. And remember God's promises and remember that you have the ability to praise Him. And what I mean by praise Him is we begin to speak who He is and not who I am. Hey, the enemy will whisper in my ears, hey Matt, you're not good enough to stand on that platform on Sunday mornings. But then I'll remind him that he's defeated, that I carry a banner of victory, that I worship a good God. And I'll just begin to speak of God's character and who he is. And so the point that I want you to take away from all this this morning is that fear cannot survive when I praise him. Or fear cannot survive when we praise him. When we come together, when we are on our own, you don't have to be here on a Sunday morning in order to praise God. You could be right here with us in person, or you can be online at your laptop right now, or you could be at home on a Wednesday night on your own, and you can just begin to praise God. And just as you speak and proclaim out who He is and how good He is, you'll feel that panic start to dissipate. And as you stop fighting and you talk about God, you realize that He gets real big, and all of a sudden you start to be elevated out of that quicksand. Remember that fear cannot survive when I praise Him. Thank you all so much. Well, hey, everybody. My name is Carly, and this morning I'm going to be talking to you about the fear of not being in control. So I know that some of you may already be a little bit uncomfortable now that I said fear of not being in control, because control is something that I think we all probably like to have at times, right? Who in here is guilty of being a backseat driver? Anybody? Yeah. So I'm not guilty of being a backseat driver, but what I am guilty of is being a passenger seat driver. And my husband will tell you that I'm telling the truth right now. I'm terrible at being a passenger in a car when someone else is driving. And regardless of what I may think my reasoning is or my motives are, the reality is, is that deep down, I have a fear of not being in control, right? Because the car is moving and I'm in it. And I can't control where we're going or how fast we're going or when we're going to get there or what's happening around us. I have a fear of not being in control. So what do we do when we have that fear? I think if we look at Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, it'll help us out a little bit. It says, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I think that often our fear of not being in control comes from this one thing, that we spend too much time worrying and not enough time trusting. We spend too much time worrying and not enough time trusting. See, it says that the disciples woke Jesus up after the waves already came over the boat. If you know how storms work, they saw that storm coming, right? It's not like all of a sudden there was a wave and that was it. They saw that storm coming for a while. So I would like to imagine they were probably running around the boat thinking, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? We're stuck in the middle of the lake. We're going to drown. What are we going to do? Probably playing rock, paper, scissors, trying to figure out who had to wake Jesus up from his nap. I wouldn't want to be the one to wake Jesus up from a nap. 
So they're probably panicking, running around, worrying, when if they would have just gone back to the last thing that Jesus said to them, I don't think they'd be worried at all. In verse 35, it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Let us go over to the other side. Before they even got in the boat, Jesus told them where they were going. He told them they were going to go over to the other side. So why were they freaking out? They forgot what Jesus had told them, and they spent way too much time worrying and not enough time trusting what he already said. Verse 38 says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? See, this verse makes me laugh a little bit because it sounds like something I would probably say if I were in that situation. Like, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to drown? I get it. You're going to live either way. But don't you care that we're going to drown? Like, come on, man. Get up. Do something. We know. Like, you can, you can do whatever you want to. You're not going to help us out, really? You're just going to sleep? All right. We've all been there, right? We've probably all been in a storm and said something a little ridiculous, a little dramatic, like what the disciples said. Maybe it sounded like, God, don't you care that we're struggling in our finances? Don't you care that my family member is sick? God, don't you care that I'm stuck in anxiety and depression? Don't you care that I still haven't found a job? God, don't you, don't you care about me? If you've ever said something like that, I want to encourage you with this. God knows exactly what we need and when we need it. God knows exactly what we need and when we need it. Matthew 6, 8 says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God already knows what you need. He knows where you started, and he knows where you're going to end up. Jesus knew that they were going across the lake, right? That's why he wasn't worried, because he knew they were going to end up on the other side. God already knows exactly what you need and when you need it. I just recently saw this happen in my life, and me and my husband just got married in March, and how many of you who are married know that when you first get married, finances are a little tough, right? Yeah, hopefully other people have experienced that, and it's not just us. <laughs> um, so finances were a little bit tough, and we were stuck with what felt like a million-dollar-a-month car payment. Anybody else ever been stuck there? <laughs> And it wasn't actually a million dollars a month, but it felt like it, right? Because sometimes when you're in the middle of a storm, the storm feels bigger than it actually is. And we were stuck with this car payment. We couldn't sell my husband's car. No matter what we did, it felt like the right person just wasn't coming along. And savings were dwindling down. We were struggling a little bit. We were getting a little nervous, a little stressed out. And I got frustrated with God. And I said something that sounded a lot like what the disciples said. God, don't you care? Why can't you just put the right person in the right place to buy this car and then everything would be fine? God, don't you care? Do you, not, do you not care at all that we're struggling and we're stressed out? But what I saw was that if I would just relax a little bit and give God control, then things would go exactly the way that they were supposed to go. And so that's what I did. In that moment, when I said, God, don't you care? God reminded me, Carly, how many times have I shown up for you before? How many times have I shown up for you at exactly the right time in exactly the right way when you didn't expect it? And so when we give that control over to God, we're able to see that his plan and his way is better. Something that my husband and I learned from that situation was place control of your life into the hands of the creator of your life. Place control of your life into the hands of the creator of your life. No one knows you better than your creator. 
God knows the beginning and the end of not just your story, but of everybody's story, right? God knows exactly what we need and when we need it. And he always shows up at exactly the right time. All we need to do is just hang on to that last thing God said. Maybe it was a promise that he gave to you. Maybe it's a verse that always brings you peace when you think back to it. But hang on to that last thing that God said. Think back to all the times that he's shown up for you in the past, whether you realized it in the moment or not. God always shows up in exactly the right way at exactly the right time. See, I spent a lot of my life knowing about God and seeing really awesome examples of people in my life that were super faithful and they worshiped God and they loved God. But it wasn't until that God spoke to me personally and told me who I was and told me about my calling that I decided in that moment, I was gonna make the decision to surrender control of my life over to Him. Because I acknowledge that He as the creator of my life knew me and my story better than I ever could. He knew the plan and it was gonna be better than anything that I could draw up on my own. And so in that moment, I realized that I could be free from the fear of not being in control when I came to the realization that I don't need to be in control at all. God is the one who should be in control and calling the shots of every moment of our lives. And so I think that some of us in here today maybe need to resubmit control of our lives over to God. Maybe we've been sitting in the passenger seat and we were a little bit tempted and we were just sitting there, sitting on our hands. Oh, where are we going? What are we doing? And we got a little nervous and we jerked the wheel, right? We took control back over. Maybe some of us have never made that decision. Maybe we've never given our lives over to Jesus and we've been the ones in control in the driver's seat. Whatever your situation is, I just wanna pray for you today. So I would ask that everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes. For those of you that need to resubmit control of your life to God and commit to letting him guide and direct your steps, I just wanna pray this over you. God, I pray for every person here in this room and online that is battling with the fear of not being in control. God, I pray that you would remove that fear from them and replace it with a confidence and a peace that surpasses all understanding. God, I pray that they would no longer carry the weight and responsibility, but instead would place you in control of their lives and trust that your timing is perfect and your plan is better. Jesus, from today forward, we are surrendering control to you and placing our lives in your hands. We love you and we trust you. Now, if everybody will keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. For those of you that have never made the decision to follow Jesus, today can be that day. If you acknowledge today, right now, in this moment, that Jesus is your Savior, Savior and you wanna give him full control over your life, if you're in this room, I ask that you would just slip your hand up really quick. And if you're online, you can indicate that you've made that decision chat. Now nobody prays alone. Let's all pray this together. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information. 
as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.